0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Oh man, I am excited this morning. I'm excited because we are going to start a new series, and this will be the first series that we get to go through together, or I get to go through with you, a series I hope that will draw us closer together and draw us closer to Jesus, a series that is all about Jesus. Today we're going to study or begin our study in the book of John. And so if you want to turn to the book of John now, and we're going to be here for... At least months. So, just yeah, if you want to stick a bunch of bookmarkers in John right now, absolutely. So, some of your Bibles might say the gospel according to John, or John's gospel, or the book of John. So, yeah, I mean, it's John, it, it, it's the, the fourth gospel. It's the fourth gospel because, of course, it comes after Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, right? But why do we need a fourth gospel? why do we need a fourth gospel anyway? The truth is the, the first three gospels are very similar, right? They're called the synoptic gospels. Up to two-thirds of some of the first three gospels are exactly the same stories, just told from different point of views, like Matthew talking about Jesus's kingship, or Luke about uh, the humanity of Jesus, and, and Mark, his, his servanthood. So what's John add to this? Well, John adds a whole other dimension. John adds a very intimate perspective of, of what it was like to follow Christ around, hear his word, see his life, actually be, like hang out with Jesus. And that's so amazing, this perspective that he has. And also his thing, if you were to say, well, what's, the, what's John's purpose? What sets John apart from the other gospels is that John is concerned with the divinity of Jesus. Like, we're going to see this morning in the very first couple of verses, like, John is, is, wants you to know that Jesus is God. Now, it is considered that John is not only the fourth gospel in the Bible, but it was probably the last written. So it kind of summarizes a lot. It takes information, not only of the relationship and history, but kind of summarizes it for us, and, and in a way, John actually preaches itself to us. Interesting to me, at least, is the fact that although it's the last written gospel, it's also the one of which we have the earliest manuscript. We as elders thought it was a great place to start here, looking at Jesus. As we start this new season in this, you know, a vanguard church, we thought, what better place to start than knowing more about Jesus? Like, that's the place we want to be. We want to know who Jesus is. We want to know about Jesus, right? And we want to know about Jesus so that we could know Jesus personally. That's why we want this information. And selfishly, like honestly, selfishly, guys, I don't know how I've been a Christian for 22, 23 years now. I have never gone through the Gospel of John with the church. I don't know how, right? How do you do that? And yet somehow, depending on what church I went to, we've just never gone through the book of John And so I've always wanted to, and now I get to, and we get to do it together, which is very exciting for me. So just a little bit about the context of John. John is written towards the end of the first century, again, written a little bit later to uh, Jewish Christians and Hellenistic uh, Jewish Christians, which means um, that the people who are reading this letter, uh, they definitely know how to be Jewish. They understand the Jewish religion, the Jewish life but they also understand Greek. And so they understand Greek terms. And we'll see that this morning, why that's important, is they understand what it's like to be a Greek and think like a Greek while being a Jew. And they're also Christian, which they're trying to figure out still. And we'll see, you actually see in a lot of the New Testament letters, people are trying to figure out how to be Christian. Like this is the beginning of it all. And so much instruction is how to be a Christian. So these people are trying to learn how to be a Jew, how to be a Greek, and also be a Christian. And what does that look like to do that in all of those relationships? It's almost unanimously accepted that this book is written by a guy named John. But if you've ever read the Gospel of John, you'll notice there's one name missing in this book. John! John is never mentioned, like... No John is mentioned, and it's a very common name. John is not mentioned in this book. So who is this John that's the author? Well, um, I was talking to Daniel earlier about this, but it turns out that there's not a general consensus about which John. John definitely wrote this, but there's multiple Johns. And so traditionally speaking, we would say that it was written by John the Apostle. That is the tradition from the early church to Sunday school teacher to Sunday school teacher, pastor to most, even pastors today, is that it was written by John the Apostle. And I think there is enough internal evidence. I think that's a great argument. I have no problem with saying that. But also, there's many people who would say that it was written by a guy named John the Elder. John the Elder, who would also be the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and this is the more scholarly view. So a bunch of guys with cool beards, you know, grabbing at them, thinking about this. That's what they believe. And a lot of pastors today too, if you're studying through the book of John, especially in Reformed churches, they'll say, hey, no, this is John the Elder who wrote this book. And I think there's a little bit of evidence for that as well. And then there's the third point of view. Hey, it just maybe that they are the same person. Maybe John got older And so he got older, and they called him John the Elder, right? And so, and for me, I can tell you, and and I I don't have a problem sharing this information with you because I don't lose sleep over it. I do not think it matters. I don't think it's crucial to what's being taught here. All I know is, is that there's a guy named John who lived with Jesus, who heard Jesus speak and saw the way Jesus lived, and he's communicating that to us so that we might believe in Jesus. He's like, I was there. You guys need to believe in this Jesus. And that's good enough for me. It was written by John, and he was there with Jesus. And so what, the, what this will look like as we go through the book of John is we're going to go verse by verse. I believe this is the best way to learn Scripture. I'm not even saying how long it's going to take. But I believe this is important to learn it in its own context. You know, for the last several months, we've been taking verses that we like, you know, Me Too and other guest preachers, just taking verses. I like this verse, I'm going to preach on it and preach, not only preach on it, but preach what I want it to speak, even if it's correct. But now we're going to be forced to look at and translate verses by themselves. So the translation of the verses is going to come within a context of an argument, which is in the context of maybe, you know, Jesus preaching or his life or relationships, and we're going to get to see that. This is going to give us the time to think about elements like history, yeah, and the kind of people, like who wrote this? Who are they writing to? Why would they use these terms? Because all these things matter, and when you're just doing one-off sermons, you do not have enough time to look at all this stuff. This also means that we get to go through a lot of difficult texts together. Like we don't, I don't get to skip like, difficult texts. If you're reading through your Bible, and you're like, ooh, like this, this is hard. I wouldn't want to preach on this. Well, I get to preach on it, so that's exciting for me. It also means that our sermons are going to look different week to week. The sermons that I preach aren't going to be like, you know, cookie cutter, this is the way they're going to look, because some sermons are going to be very Practical. You know, Jesus is going to be talking about what this looks like in your life, you know, what to do with money, what to do with relationships. And so it's going to be very hands-on, like very easy to apply sermons. On the other hand, like today, because we're going to be faithful to the text itself and what it is saying, like today's sermon is is theological. And so the, the application isn't like what you can do like with your hands and in your lives but the application is like change the way you think be renewed right be renewed by the changing of your mind like Paul says in Romans and so one of the reasons I also want to do this is because I want you guys to become experts I I want you guys to become experts at at handling your bibles in reading your bibles so for me success wouldn't be for two years from now to say, oh, Vanguard, we went through the whole Bible. I preached through the whole Bible in two years. We did it. We're done. That's not success. Like, how much could you possibly learn? That's like spending less than two weeks on each book of the Bible. You can't learn anything like that. And so honestly, if two years from now, we said we went through the book of John, to me, that would be success that you guys would know a book of the Bible inside and out, that you would know its context and its history and its meaning and and give me the time and space to even talk about counter-arguments about what other people think about it, what it looks like in our daily lives today. And that also means, I don't know what your, your daily devotional looks like, whether you read a chapter a day, maybe five chapters, or you're doing a Bible in a year, that's good. Continue to do that. Absolutely do that. Do not stop doing that. But I would also challenge you to start reading a chapter of John every day, just one chapter a day, which will take you through the book every month, and then you'll you'll go through a couple more chapters every month, which means over the course of this series, you will have read the book of John dozens of times, You'll be so familiar with it. I mean, you'll have it memorized. You won't even realize it. But somebody, like, I'll be up here starting to say a verse, and you can finish it. Like, learn how to, to study like that so that you could memorize it so it becomes part of you. So that you go through it, you know, you go through it every day over and over and over. And then week by week, we're going to go deep, deep, deep. And so you're going to have just this knowledge of it, knowing what it says, but also this knowledge of, of what it means and how to apply it. So today, our sermon is going to be a little bit shorter, a little bit shorter than my my normal sermon. But, you know, maybe I think for us it's necessary because, man, is this heady. This is so theological today. You know, if if I look up and it looks like your head is hurting, you know, I I get it. Like, don't, don't, you don't worry about, like, if you look confused today. I, I expect that today. Today's the week where you can give me any face. I'm not going to be offended if you look confused. This is so crazy what we're going to see today, but also so necessary. And so today we begin our study of the Gospel of John with a series just on chapter 1, which we are going to call Jesus Is. Our sermon title this morning is, Jesus is God. Let me pray for us as we begin this study of John together. Oh, Heavenly Father, um <clears throat> What a joy for me personally to get to go through this book verse by verse. And uh, I hope for everyone here that it will also be a joy um, because it will point us to you, which is the ultimate source, Lord, of life, Lord, where our joy is perfected, Lord, in Christ. In a book that points to Jesus, Lord, may we just be overflowed with not only the knowledge of who Jesus is, Lord, but that we might know him personally, so that we could reach Bakersfield with this knowledge, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would preach a better sermon than me today to our hearts and minds, and that no matter what difficulties we might find this morning, in words we may not understand, that we would leave no matter what, knowing that Jesus is God, Lord. Thank you for this morning, Lord. Please be honored, Lord. Amen. And today we're going to start with John 1, 1 through 2, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So let's look at the first part of verse 1, where it says, In the beginning. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, right? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God. And I don't think this is a coincidence or an accident. The book starts with these words. After all, John 1, 1 through 18, we'll see over the next couple of weeks. John 1, 1 through 18 is what's known as a prologue. It's known as a prologue. It's setting up everything. It's introducing its topic. It's telling us what we need to know before we go through this awesome book. You need to know this information. If you don't know this information, you might be lost or you might not understand what is happening. So, you have to pay attention to the prologue. It's the foundation. It's like the structure that holds everything in place as we go through this book. In Greek culture, it was, it was very common in this culture to use this prologue to introduce like a thesis statement. This is what it's about. This is the purpose of, of what's happening. This is th- what you need to know. And also, you know, in this culture, it, if it, it was very common to describe the author if it mattered. So if somebody important wrote the book and they had like something about them what was interesting or important, you want people to know, which is what we see people here. Let's introduce who this book is about. It is often said, as I've said myself, Genesis 1.1 is the most difficult verse in the Bible. It's the most difficult verse in the Bible, let's be honest. If you can grasp, if you can understand or believe, right, that God is in the beginning then everything else should be easy. So Genesis 1.1, that is the verse that, that we must understand. And so by using these words, like I, I do believe John is being very intentional in the beginning. He's saying, I'm going to restructure. I'm going to reframe what you think you believe about God. I'm going to give you a new understanding of what's taking place. What happened at the beginning? I'm going to give you some insider information that that Israel didn't have, that Moses didn't get. There was something happening now, and I'm going to tell you exactly what is happening. And so whereas Matthew and Luke, you know, they start with the birth narratives of Jesus. I don't know if if John was, like, competitive, you know, where he's like, I'm going to go so much further than you guys. You guys started at the birth? Weak. I'm going to go all the way back. I'm going to go all the way back to divine origin, the divine origin of Jesus. And by doing this, we're going to see the first way that we could see from John 1:1 1, 1, that Jesus is God, and that is that the word is eternally preexistent. The word is eternally preexistent. And I've misspelled preexistent this week so many times as I was preparing this sermon. <clears throat> And so to be fair, I'm saying the Word, right? The Word is preexistent. And we have the benefit now as Christians, we know the Word is Jesus, right? And to be fair, we learn this information in verse 17. So it's not like I'm cheating by calling the Word Jesus. We learn in the prologue that Jesus is the Word. And so we know moving forward that we were supposed to know. So don't worry about the fact that we kind of already seen a little bit ahead and we know the Word is Jesus. So John, right? This is what we want to ask John this morning, John, why didn't you just say Jesus? Why not just say, in the beginning, Jesus? Why start with the title, Word? And so I've read more commentaries this week on this word than I've ever read in my life. And so I've read, you know, famous, you know, historical theologians and commentators who have said things like, Nobody knows why John chose this word. Some people have said, we still don't know. We have a guess as to why John chose this word. And so that word, that word is logos, right? You guys heard that word logos? I think it's a term like most people have heard the word logos before. Now, I I think from all the information I've gathered, I can say, um, knowing that we know what we know about John Um, is that John likes to use words that have multiple meanings. And we'll see this through this study. Like John, John gets cute with his language. I mean, just words that mean different things to different people. It works amazingly. But sometimes it can be a little confusing. But I think what he does here, by using the word logos, is pretty genius. For the Hellenistic Jewish Christian hearing this, this idea of logos, right? It's an incredible idea. You're talking about hundreds of years of tradition where the term Lagos was thought of as reason or the essence of reason <clears throat> or the cause of existence. Lagos created everything. Lagos is the ideal world, the ideal man, and everything comes out of Lagos. Also, the laws of the universe. It's interesting. There, were, there was Greek philosophers who said logos is the law of the universe, which is interesting because they also said that it's natural to us. So this reason, this law that created everything and is perfect and ideal, he actually told us what that ideal was. So in other words, we have logos in our heart. And these are Greeks talking. They're not even talking about the Bible, about Jesus. They're talking about what they think about God. And like God created everything and is just perfect. And we have this moral law inside of us which they could actually use in court which is so interesting now the greek philosopher heraclides said that the logos was eternal and omnipresent divine and created everything so the greeks had some idea of the reality of jesus right they just didn't know what to call it so they called it logos so this idea of john just starting with in the beginning with was logos everybody in the room could turn around and be like what Oh, he's talking about logos. We're going to hear this incredible you know, philosophical disposition. For Jews, the idea of logos, which means word, is important because through the Old Testament, as you read through the Old Testament, how does God communicate with people? It's through the word, right? The word of God came to people. How does God create stuff? It's by the word of his mouth that God creates stuff. You know, in the songs and poetry of ancient Israel, the word was a personification of wisdom. So if somebody talked about the word, you were talking about just all-knowing wisdom. And so for the Jew hearing the word logos, they're just thinking, oh, we're talking about the creator. We're talking to some, about somebody who's communicating with us and is revealing himself to us. And so this is important, because when Jews hear logos, they think God is speaking to us. Now this morning, for us, the word, word, you know, it means communication, right? The function of Jesus Christ revealing God to us. God is communicating with us. And so because of that reason, there's actually people now who are translating the Bible who say in 50 years, it's no longer going to be the word, it's going to be the message. So we'll see. I think the word is much better. I won't get into that, but... So we have a concept, right, of what the title word means. I think we have some idea of why he used the, this, this term logos, right? Just to get everybody's attention and just say, hey, this is the most definitive force in the universe. So now we need to look at the facts that he is preexistent. And you might be saying to yourself, James, you're contradicting yourself because if we're talking about, you know, in the beginning then how could it be pre-existing? Because that's the beginning. That's a starting point, right? That doesn't make logical sense. Now, what I don't usually do, um, and I'm not going to apologize either, is um, I don't use a lot of time explaining the Greek. Like, I'm not here to teach you guys Greek. But I think this morning, knowing a little bit about the Greek language is going to take us a long way towards understanding what is happening here. Because the Greek imperfect text, like the imperfect form of the Greek word was, is that it was ongoing or continuing. You confused? Yeah, so so basically a much better translation, like a much better translation of this verse, which is also extremely more confusing, is that in the beginning the word was or was ongoing or was continuing which means that as far back as we can comprehend a beginning to be with our finite minds, God was already existing, right? The imperfect tense. God was already there being God, had already been for eternity, as far back as we can think. You know, and you know, if, if you're like one of my kids and you could say, well, what about the day before that? Well, yes, he was already continuing to be God in the second before that. Continuing to be God. And so that's what it actually says here. So, a really good translation is the word was-washing. That's the literal (laughs) translation. I know that that's that's very difficult, but that's what it says here. Just as far back as we could think, pre-existing, the word has always been. You with me, guys? All right. I was joking with my wife this week. I was like, you know, I'm going to take a bottle of Advil with me for this sermon. We'll just pass it around. (laughs) So So now let's continue a little further and read more of verse 1, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Was with God. And this means that the Word is in eternal relationship with God. Is in eternal relationship with God. So not only is this Word eternal, right, pre-existent, this word has been hanging out with God forever. The whole time, hanging out with God. And the Greek, again, the preposition here, with, it's intense, man. It is intense. It's not like I'm here with you this morning. We're occupying the same space, we're, we're breathing the same air. But this word with, it's intimate. Like it is an intimate relationship that they are with each other. Again, trans- if you translate this correctly, it's actually not only with, but it's facing each other. They're not in the same room. They are facing each other. They are not only facing each other, they are in motion. They are heading towards each other. How much more intimate can you be with somebody? Again, this, this can't make complete sense to us. Imagine calling our kids and asking them, hey, are you on your way to so-and-so's house? Are you headed that direction? And they say, yes, yes, I am. And, and we say, okay, who are you with right now? Oh, I'm with them already. Yeah, I'm looking right at them. We're face to face. But also, I'm on my way to them. No, like, our minds can't wrap ourselves around how intimate this relationship is between God and the Word. And of course, the God here, as already referenced, is the God of Genesis, the God who created Everything. Which begs the question, hey, who gets to hang out with God forever? Who gets to do that? And so what we will see here is that the Word is eternally God. And now let's finish verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What a bold statement. What a dangerous statement to make. Even for the people in this culture, like this cost you your family, you say this, like you can be excommunicated from your family. You know, many people died for this very confession. Remember Jesus, why, did G, why was Jesus crucified? It's because Jesus said this about himself, that he made himself equal with the Father. That is why Jesus was crucified, because he said that he was eternally God, Now, commentator R. Kent Hughes, who is one of my favorite commentators, says of John 1.1, the simple sentence of verse 1 is the most compact and pulsating theological statement in all of Scripture. Jesus was always existing from all eternity as God, in perfect fellowship with God the Father, and though not mentioned, the Holy Spirit. He is the cosmic Christ. And we will meet the Holy Spirit in chapter 1. Such an amazing chapter. But what does this look like technically? Like, draw this out. If somebody said, draw this out, draw this verse out, what this looks like, it it doesn't make sense. You know, because as Hugh says here, we have God, who's the Father, which we will find out in verse 34 in this chapter. And then we have the Word, who we find out is Jesus in verse 17 of this chapter. And there's a difference between them and yet they are the same. God and the Word are not identical, but they are one. The Word, Jesus, shares His nature and substance and being with God. Theologian Matthew Barrett, one of my old professors, uh, explained it like this. Since this is the eternal, infinite, immutable, and impassable God we are talking about, the son's generation is eternal, infinite, immutable, and impassable, meaning he can have no beginning as creation does. So the word was there at the beginning with God and is God, it was eternally preexistent in relationship and is God. And then verse 2 just summarizes that fact by saying in the beginning, he was in the beginning with God, which just gives us you know, the hammer, right? Oh, yeah, you heard me right he was in the beginning. So we start to see Jesus introduced a little bit, right? Because now he went from logos to he. And so we will find out shortly that he is the son. Now, I know this is very technical. And quite frankly, I think if we're being very honest, church, we read this and we have more questions than answers, right? What does this look like? And that's okay. It's okay to have mystery and not know how everything works this morning. But one, thing, one answer that we have to leave with this morning, no matter what, whether we understand it or not, is that Jesus is God. We can't miss the fact that the book starts here. Of all the ways John could have started, and we'll see he's a very intelligent, charming, sophisticated, cute writer. And he knows what he's doing when he says, hey, we're going to start in the divine, in the cosmic realm. That's where we're going to start this. Understanding who Jesus is, we must understand first that Jesus is God. Like this is foundational to everything we're going to study ever. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul said this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And of course, Paul here is not talking about the origin, but about the resurrection. But I mention that because Paul is saying if the resurrection isn't true, then why are we meeting together? Our faith is useless. Everything I'm saying is pointless. But the whole idea he's talking about is the resurrection proved and validated the fact that Jesus was God. If Jesus isn't God, church, like why are we here this morning? We could be at Randy's Donuts, right? We could be doing so many different things this morning if Jesus isn't God, But I hope, like me this morning, you're here because you do believe that Jesus is indeed God. But what happens if we get this wrong? What's at stake if we don't believe that Jesus is God? And the first place I want to start with is the first thing at stake is our awe. Now, when people ask me, um, hey, James, what's your preaching style? And as you guys know, I don't have any preaching style, um, but I do have an intent, and that is one, as I've talked about earlier, I want you guys to become experts with your Bible. Love holding them. Love using them. Know what it says. Be Know how to handle the Word of God. And the second is that you would be filled with awe. This is incredible. We are so used to having our Bibles. We've forgotten how incredible every word of them are. Think about it like this. So, you know, Millions of people throughout history have looked into the beautiful night sky and all the stars and all of creation and just thought, this is so incredible. There has to be something behind this. There had to be somebody who created this. I mean, even to make a shovel takes multiple people. So to make all of this, what an amazing person must have made this. And they didn't know who it was. Many, like the Greeks had some idea, right? They had logos. They knew there was this force, this intelligence, and this law that's existed and created everything and even put that moral law in our hearts. Even today, many in the world have not heard about God, have not read a Bible, and even amidst turmoil and suffering still know deep down there is something so much more to this life than what they are experiencing. I think sometimes we forget that our Bible is a communication from God, lagos, right? Our a communication to us. And so we confess what we're learning, but maybe not understanding it. You know, in the Bible, he's telling us and showing us, right? I mean, have we forgotten that this Bible is God's mind? Have you thought about that? I wonder what God thinks. We know what God thinks. We're holding what God thinks. We know God's heart by his actions that he's revealed to us. We know what God thinks. We know how much he thinks about us for what he's done for us in Christ. And my fear for many here, including myself, I'll preach to myself first, is that the holy becomes common. I don't want that for you guys. This information about God, about logos, you know, about the Greek, about the Trinity, about salvation, that it just becomes information instead of awe. The last thing I want us to do is just be filled with information instead of awe. I want us to be in awe of the fact that God, his logos, has communicated with us, that we have that in our hands this morning. Are you kidding me? We have the word of God talking to us this morning. And I confess, again, before anybody else, I confess there's times where, you know, I have a bunch of Bible books, I have Bibles, and I walk right by them to go watch something on TV. Or to play video games. It's because I forgot. I walked right by this book not knowing. That this was God who created me, who knew me before creation existed, and wanted to tell me this information, and I go right by it. I'd like to think I could wax intellectually, theologically with anyone, but what does my life say about my heart? What does my life say about my heart? Have I encountered Lagos? Have I encountered Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus is God? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves. The second thing at at stake that, that I alluded to a moment ago is the Word of God and the fact that we have to reframe the way we study Scripture. That's the whole purpose of what John is doing, right? By saying, in the beginning... He's saying, okay, uh, in the beginning, let's let's start this over. Let's reframe what you think about the entire Bible. And so what we do here when we do this is we go to places like Genesis, and when it says in the beginning, hey, we know somebody else who was there, right? The Word. This also means when God says, let us make man in our image, right, plural. We know who one of the plural is now. Like we have new information that the Word was there. This also means that all Scripture is a communication from the Word, a warning of judgment and a need of a Savior from somebody who's that Savior. The Savior is writing to us, communicating to us through the entire Scripture of what is necessary, showing His importance to us. And when we see the flood, right, this coming judgment, and people are saved in this wooden ark, that's the Word communicating to us, that judgment is coming, right? And there's a way of salvation, We see in the salvation of Israel from the Egyptians, the blood of the lamb which protects people and they're passed over in judgment because the blood of this lamb. It's the lamb communicating that information to us. That's not just a historical event anymore. It's the actual lamb. We see it in the law as God tells us his mind and heart and expectations for us and how we're not going to meet them and how there's a sacrificial system in place, and that we need to look to that lamb, the true sacrificial lamb, the one behind it all highlighting this reality. You see how the narrative changes of the Bible now that we read it, knowing that the word was there, that Jesus was there. All these now are not just stories. They're not just history. They're events that specifically point us to the cross. This also means that when we read the gospel, when we read about the life of Jesus and his words and his actions, we're looking at the life and the words and actions of God himself. This means as we read the letters to the churches, it's not a fan club of some guy, right? It's not about some, we're not following some guy. We're not following Tom Brady or whoever else. We're following God himself. This means when we read Revelation and we get to the end, we know it's just the beginning because that God is eternal. If the word is not God, if the word is not Jesus, what we hold in our hands is just three quarters unfulfilled prophecy and a quarter a fan club of some lunatic who thought he was God. That's what's at stake, our whole entire existence, not only as a church, but what we do with our entire lives. This is just true. This is the word God. Was he there at the beginning? <clears throat> and lastly, this is where we draw our line in the sand. Um, I know I've met with many of you. Um, if you have not hung out with me, um, just a plug. If we have not hung out together for a meal or just hung out and talked, please, we need to do that. Let, let's set that up. But I have talked to some of you already and it's come up a couple times in different conversations where we talk about the fact that Bakersfield has so many churches and then we talk about, okay, which of these churches are part of our tribe? Which would we say are brothers and sisters in Christ? How do I know if this church is a Christian church? And the answer is John 1. Like that's where we draw the line in the sand in our faith. John 1 is what we're going to stand for, that Jesus is God. Now, don't get me wrong. We love everybody. We love our neighbors as ourselves. But also, they need the gospel. And the gospel is that we offended God and God came down in Jesus Christ to save us from the one that we sinned against, himself. If Jesus isn't God again, man, are we just wasting Sunday mornings. So we draw a line in the sand theologically, just like in this book with the Jewish culture. And we would say, yes, there is only one God. We agree with you guys, but he's in three persons. And all of the Torah points to Jesus. Jesus is fulfilled in the Old Testament. We draw a line in the sand against Islam, who says there's only one God, Allah. And yeah, Jesus existed, but he was a prophet. And we would agree with them in saying Jesus was a prophet, but he was also a priest and a king and God, right? So, yeah, Allah is not God. There's only one God. We draw a line in the sand against other Bible based belief systems who say God is many, or Jesus is many cool things, great things, but not God. And we'll look more at that next week. But this week we say everything in the Bible, including John 1, and verses 1 through 2, is pretty clear that it says Jesus is God. And we draw a line in the sand against atheists. And we commend them. I commend atheists that have faith that is so incredible. Right? It takes so much faith to be an atheist. And so, my question this morning to you is why are you so passionate about something that doesn't exist? I don't go around yelling how I don't believe in unicorns. And lastly, we draw a line in the sand against the government, who at times, not all government, but who at times thinks it is God and can tell us what to do and tell us what's in our best interest and when, and when we can't meet. And I, I bet a lot of us here would say that's not even a line, but that's like a trench that we will dig to stand for the fact that Jesus is God. Jesus is our God. He is the word Pre-existence in the beginning, was always continuing in eternal relationship with God because Jesus is God. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.